Good morning, everyone. Uh, today we'll, we will be reading from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 through to 46. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw the Lord your God carry you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, and said, You shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Thanks, Toby. Great to be with you, Gosford. Thanks for having me. It's a great privilege to be able to uh, share God's word with you today. We're going to start with... Are we going to slide? There we go. Uh, and start with a story about a very wealthy farmer. Everything's his. Uh, his farm, his world, his way. Uh, life is very good. And then one day, everything changes. His younger son says, Dad... I want my share and I want it now. Dad, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. How heartbreaking. What betrayal. Hard to imagine a more hurtful, offensive moment for a parent, isn't it? Incredibly graciously, the farming father gives his son his share and lets him go. And just like that, he's gone. Far away. The son's got a bucket list, and it's a big bucket, whatever he wants, with whomever he wants, whenever he wants it. He's grabbed dad's finance to fuel a quest for popularity and pleasure. Akuna Matata. 
No worries. On the menu, it's everything good and pleasing to the eye. And Dad's paying. Everything served up on a platter. Everything. Except, of course, Dad. Everything. But only, of course, until the money runs out. And it does. The gifts separated from the giver don't last forever. Gifts separated from the giver don't last forever. And as the money runs out, the pleasures run out. And as the money runs out, the friends run out. And he's done. Far away, lost and alone. And in the story of the Bible, that's about where we're up to. Uh, The story of the Old Testament is this rocky story of God the Father and Israel his son. Uh, Here's a quick uh, snapshot of the story so far as a map so you can see how the journey goes. In Genesis, God begins with Adam and Eve. But like the son, they reject dad as they grab for his things. God then begins again with Noah. And again, like the son, people reject dad's way to do whatever they want to do. But God begins again with Abraham. And God promises Abraham a great name, a great nation and a great land. And as Genesis ends, the promises to Abraham are coming true. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. But young Israel is in Egypt and not the promised land. And so the book of Exodus continues the story. God hears his son Israel cry out and God the father saves his son out of Egypt so he can serve him in the promised land. And on the way at Mount Sinai, God prepares Israel for a life of worshipping and serving. Uh, that's really the theme of the book of Leviticus. And then Numbers, well that's the Gilligan Island trip. What should take Israel 11 days lasts a whole lifetime. And that generation, the first generation out of Egypt, they fail to reach the promised land. And so we get to Deuteronomy. Now the first generation of Israel that were saved out of Egypt are dead. And Deuteronomy is a collection of speeches from Moses, right on the edge of the promised land. Moses prepares this second generation. His speeches are to inspire and warn and equip and unleash a new generation to the promised land. Israel gets a second chance at life. The first generation is dead. Now this is life after death for Israel. Which is really my first point. Life after death for Israel. Come with me. Have your Bibles open. We're in Deuteronomy. Going to begin in chapter 1. Israel right on the edge of the promised land. And you can see that in verse 1. And then Moses remembers. Moses remembers Israel's journey of epic fails. First generation generation are really like that unfaithful son. That's not a good reputation to have, is it? Unfaithful. Moses remembers that God sent Israel on the conquest of the new land. God commanded them, verse 8, have a look with me, chapter 1, verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Uh, It's a pretty straightforward command, isn't it? Go and take possession. Go and conquer. Why? Well, because God is giving them the land. Should they trust that God will give them the land? Yes, absolutely they should. This is the God who's already saved them out of Egypt. They saw him drown the Egyptians. Uh, The same God who fed them in the wilderness. Is he trustworthy? Absolutely. But Moses remembers how Israel gets to the edge of the promised land and they send in spies. Keep keep reading with me. Verse 24. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. 
taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Uh, God's already proved himself trustworthy and he's giving good gifts. It's a good land. They should be onwards and upwards, yes? Well, no. Some spies reported that the people of the land are too big and too strong. And so are their sins. And so the hearts of the people melted with fear and they rebelled against the Lord. They refused to enter the promised land. Moses remembers here how he tried to persuade them. Keep reading verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. That's a really beautiful image, isn't it? God, God the farmer dad striding out carrying his son. He gets Israel to the fence of an even better promised land. And what do they think? He's just going to toss them over to the bulls? No dad's going to do that, is he? Especially not a faithful dad. And that's why the next verses are really so tragic. Verse 32. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. Of that first generation, only the trusting, faithful, obedient spies, Caleb and Joshua, will inherit the promised land. The rest make people too big and God too small. They don't trust God, so they don't obey God. They don't do what God says to do. They don't enter the promised land. And then when God says they can't enter the promised land, then they try to enter the land. It's crazy, isn't it? They don't do what God says to do, and then they try to do what God says not to do. That's typical of us, isn't it? Not doing what we should. And doing what we shouldn't. Israel's like Adam again. Doing things their way, not God's. Israel is the unfaithful son. What would God do in response? Well, chapters 2 and 3 remind us that God is the faithful dad. There's something very appealing and warm and good about that word, isn't it? Faithful. God gives the first generation what they want. He turns them away from their promised land and sends them back into the desert. And don't miss the irony here in these little stories. Israel visits the descendants of Esau. Have a look at me. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough for you to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. Do you get the irony? Israel visited the relatives who are settled in the land that God gave them. They moved on from there and they did it again in Moab, verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ah to the descendants of Lot as a possession. He's rubbing their faces in it a little bit, isn't he? Israel don't enter their own land and then they have to go and visit all the people who did. Just to make sure Israel gets the point, verse 19. When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land that belonged to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. How ironic. Rebellious, unfaithful Israel go on tour of all the people who have settled in the land that God has given to them. 
It's like losing the grand final on your end of year trip is to the club room of your opponent. Moses reminds this second generation, God gives whatever land he wants to whoever he wants to give it. And he evicts the bigger and stronger, more numerous tenants and puts in the new tenants. God is the faithful dad. He keeps his promises. And so it seems this tour of settled people groups, it does its work for the second generation. Moses remembers then how how God tells Israel to turn and march back to their promised land. And they do. And uh, God routes their enemies before them. That's really what chapter 2 and chapter 3 tell us. The end of chapter 2 is Moses remembering the victory over Sihon, king of Heshbon. And chapter 3 retells the demise of Og, king of Bashan. And then Moses remembers that he allowed two tribes of Israel to settle east of the promised land. They settled before the promised land, but only on condition that they lead the charge into the promised land. Moses then recounts how he himself will not go with the second generation into the promised land. As chapter 3 closes, he remembers he's already handed the baton on to Joshua the conqueror. Have a look with me, chapter 3 and verse 21. At that time I commanded Joshua, You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. So you get the scene, we're right on the edge of the promised land. Moses is speaking to a second generation, inspiring, warning, equipping, unleashing them for life in the promised land. The first generation of Israel is the unfaithful son, dead in the desert. Now the second generation has a second chance at life in the promised land. Why? Well, because God is the faithful dad. He's the promise-making, promise-keeping God. And all Israel has to do is not be like that first generation. If they trust and obey, they'll take hold of a second chance at life. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, that's what we'll look at under the second point today, a second chance at life. We're going to see three things. First, we need a second chance at life because like Israel, we are prone to be unfaithful children. Second, we get a second chance at life, but only because of a faithful son. And then third, we receive a second chance at life in the embrace of a faithful dad. So first up, our need for a second chance at life because we are unfaithful children. When the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he reminds them of that first generation of Israel who did not reach the promised land. And he says this, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Again, he says, These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. See Paul's point? That generation who did what they wanted to do, the generation who, like the young son, settled for parties and sex, that grumbling, ungrateful generation who wanted God's gifts but not relationship with the giver, they're an example and a warning for us. 
when you hold up a mirror to your face, whatever face you see, it should not be theirs. Right? But it often is, isn't it? Even as God's saved and chosen people, we don't perfectly do what God says to do. And we do what God says not to do. And we feel wretched about it, don't we? You do feel wretched about it, I hope. Guilt, shame, wretched. Do you know why? Because I reckon it signals that Dad still matters to you. It still signals that in those moments, as you honestly reflect, you don't want to displease, but you want to please your Heavenly Father. It signals remorse. And it gives an opportunity to repent. And friends, that's our difficult journey as we make our pilgrimage through this barren world to God's forever promised land, isn't it? It's a journey of learning to enjoy the gifts but loving the giver more. It's a journey of growing more thankful and grateful and less of a grumbler. It's a journey of resting in the safety and security of the assurance that God's way is a better way. And so learning to trust and obey more and more. Now we know there's trials and trouble and temptations. Of course there are things that are too big for us and too strong for us alone. But that's okay. Because Dad's got us. As we see things coming our way we can say, you got this right? And he does. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No tempting, no testing can take you off God's shoulders. Nothing in all creation can separate you from his love expressed to you in Christ Jesus. We need a second chance at life because like Israel we are prone to be unfaithful children. Like Israel we deserve the death that ends this life. So how is it possible we get a second chance at life that is forever? Well we only get a second chance because of a faithful son. You may think that first generation of Israel were unfaithful so the second generation must have been faithful. Well you can read about every generation that follows in the book of Joshua and Judges and the rest of the Old Testament, spoiler alert, not one of them proved perfectly faithful. They're all wretched like us. Good moments, bad moments. And so as we read the Old Testament, it makes us long for the hero, a faithful son. And we meet him in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus, born of a virgin. He comes out of Egypt. As he's baptised, God says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, tempted in every way as Israel was, tempted in every way as we are, and yet he's without sin. He's the faithful son right to the end. Just before he dies, he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the faithful son, always trusting, always obeying, 
always faithful. He willingly waits for his inheritance. He's not a grabber. He's a giver. Just like his giving father. Jesus gives his life to give his unfaithful brothers and sisters a second chance at life. All of God's unfaithful kids are saved by one faithful son. Hallelujah! What a brother! And just as Jesus rises from the dead, so his inheritance will rise with him. Our second chance at life is for life now and forever. That's God's promise to us. Death and the devil are bigger and stronger than us. We'd like to be like Israel and turn tail and run, but we don't have to. Because we know if we're with Jesus, death holds no terror for us. Jesus has defeated death. We can boldly enter through death to God's promised land of heaven because the promise-making God is a promise-keeping God. He's our faithful dad. I'm not sure what kind of dad you've had. Mine was pretty good. You might have a dad figure in your life that you reckon is better than your natural dad. Can I say whatever model of dad that you've had, God the faithful dad is better. Better than any other dad. Better than we deserve. Not only does he have you faithfully on his shoulders to carry you through testings and temptations, but when you jump off and run away, muck up and hide, when you've taken his love for granted, when you break his heart and choose fool's gold, popularity, pleasure, when you've chosen anything and everything except dad, in the fun times as you forget him, the moments when you reject him, at rock bottom when you're lost and alone and you realise you need him, what then? Well, the story I began with is a modern twist on a short story told by Jesus. The story of a father and two sons. The father is God. The older self-righteous son we'll meet next week. But in the story Jesus tells, the younger, ungrateful and rebellious son, he comes to his senses. He returns to dad to confess his sins. He realises it's not worthy to be called a son Maybe he could be a servant. What sort of reception do you reckon he gets from Dad? Well, here's what Jesus says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. Threw his arms around him. Kissed him. Friend, maybe all you've ever known is life away from God. You didn't realise God is your dad and you're built for a relationship with him. You've been using and abusing his stuff without even thinking about it. Maybe it's just dawning on you now how, how rude and ungrateful that is. Or maybe you're conscious of the big and small ways you slip into doing what you want to do. Maybe your conscience is being pricked about grumbling and being ungrateful. When you're at your worst... What do you think God is like? Do you feel you need to hide from an angry God? Are you vainly trying to win the affections of a God whose love you have to earn? Our faithful God, our faithful dad is not like that. 
In this story, he's looking for you, filled with compassion, ready to run. Almighty God, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord. And the only time we ever see him run is when he runs to us. Takes us in his arms. Holds your head to his chest. Says, my child's come home again. Lifts your face. Wipes the tears from your eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, says, child, do you know I still love you? Wow! Incredible! And true. That's the Bible's great story of a second chance at life. Unfaithful kids like you and me. One faithful son, the Lord Jesus. And an incredibly faithful dad. Don't be like that first generation. Do enter God's rest, won't you? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Receive his warm embrace. Turn back to God. Ask someone to help you if you need it. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Please pray with me. Loving, gracious Heavenly Father, we do delight in knowing you as our faithful dad. You are wonderful beyond words. Thank you for being so faithful, for being the promise-making, promise-keeping God. Father, we, we delight too in our faithful brother, the Lord Jesus. Uh, what an incredible thing that he has done to become human and live perfectly and then die for the sins of us unfaithful brothers and sisters. Father, as we hear your word today, help us to be wise, to hear your voice, and to respond. We thank you for a second chance at life that is both now and forever. Help us to grow in our trust of you, Father, that you, your plan is best. And so help us to grow in our obedience to you, knowing that, we, that you are totally trustworthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.